Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, David. I got to see if I'm on here. Yeah, it's on. All right. Good morning. I really owe Brad on this one. Kids drops the, uh, you know, Paula's leaving. And David, you can preach right after I say that, right? Yeah. Oh, thanks. What a guy. Actually, he sent me a note last night. And he sent me a picture of him, uh, well, actually, it was Raul and uh, Sharon, who are part of the uh, Town Center crew, who are with Brad down in Mexico, and uh, they're going over Brad's message for this morning to make sure that all of his jokes translate into Spanish, (laughs) which is important, which is important. So, So I see Sharon going over the notes and everything, so... It's good to see everyone here, and yes, we are sad that Paula's leaving, and uh, yeah, 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 we're very thankful for her. And I want to give a shout out to the kids, kids in the service, are there kids in the house? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's one, <laughs> woohoo, yay, good to have you here. Um, well, at least Brad said I didn't have to preach on Job, which is on Thanksgiving, which is probably a wise thing, you know? <laughs> If you know, Job is kind of a guy who loses everything. It's kind of a, it's a heavy book. So on Thanksgiving, it would be a tough passage to, to look at. Uh, what, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at, I think it's a fun passage. It's, it's found in the book of James chapter 2. And, uh, and it deals with one of the themes that shows up time and again in, in Scripture. And that is a theme of, of money, of status, and... Um, and how money and status can mess us up and cause us to look at people differently. And when I was preparing this message, I was thinking, I was thinking about how money and status can give you a sense of entitlement. And I was reminded of a story, um, something that I experienced back in the day, a long time ago. I used to work and live in China, and I, uh, I used to work uh, in a hotel in the city of Kunming, which is in the southwest part of China. And so my, my job in the hotel, I was the lobby manager. Yes, it was a pretty high-level job. Uh, lobby manager. And one of my jobs as a lobby manager is I, you know, I had to kind of make sure everything was, was going okay in the lobby, obviously. But uh, we ha- I had a colleague, and she was in accounts receivable. And every now and then, there were some people that were staying in the hotel that hadn't been paying their bills. Because back then, if you were wanting to do business, you would actually, you couldn't just rent an office. You actually had to rent a hotel room uh, back then. And this is 30 years ago, right? And so um, there's one company, this one guy who owns this company who had been staying in the hotel for, for months and he hadn't paid. And it was the days before credit card. So like there's no credit card. He actually had to pay. And so the accounts receivable, uh, my colleague, she says, you know, David, can you help me out? This guy hasn't paid. He owes 15,000 yuan, which back then, I mean, that was a fair amount of money. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? She goes, can you help me just go and knock on his door? I've been knocking on his door. He doesn't answer. He doesn't, I know he's there, but he's not responding. Can you help me out? I said, all right, well, see what we can do. I am the lobby manager after all. Um, <laughs> and so I went up with her, went to, went to the door and we, we knocked on the door and uh, we could hear that he was inside. And uh, we, you know, lobby manager, open up, you know. Um, guy doesn't open up. And so I said to her, I said, do you have the master key? She goes, yeah. I said, well, let's just go in. I said, we're in China. We can do whatever we want. Let's go in. Uh, 
let's just go in. And so we open up the door and we walked in. The guy's sitting at his desk. He goes, What are you doing? And I'm like, Sorry, um, just to let you know, you owe the uh, hotel a, a bit of money. And we just came here just to talk to you about that. He goes, Do you know who I am? <laughs> like, Not really, but I know you owe us money. Um, <laughs> he goes, you don't think this is an, you think this would be an issue for me to pay money? He goes, get out! And I said, sorry. I said, we, we can't leave. I said, you actually owe the, uh, the, the hotel a fair amount of money. He goes, fine, fine. It was right out of a movie, right? He, on his desk, he has this briefcase. <laughs> Opens it up, full of money! <laughs> and he grabs a wad of it, and he looks at me, and he throws it at me. <laughs> He's just on the floor. He goes, take your money and get out! Oh, I had so many names that I want. But there's kids in the service, so um, <laughs> so I just thought all these wonderful thoughts about him and uh, picked up the money and we walked out. But I thought, who, who does that? Right? What happens to a person's soul where they get to the point where that's how you treat another human being? And I was just thinking, you know, he just treated us like low-level employees, and, and this whole desire, this love for money, this love for status, it does something to people. It messes you up. Now, here's the thing. I like to say it's just simply in the world, but it, it actually messes up people in the church. It does. And that's the theme of our passage today. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of James. Okay, It's in the New Testament. It's towards the end of your Bible. James. We're going to look at James chapter 2 in our time this morning. James chapter 2. And um, we can just look at the beginning of James chapter 2. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. James chapter 2. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. It might be a little different translation than your own. <clears throat> it says this. It says, My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us. This is your living word. Speak into our hearts. Convict us. 
transform us and make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Okay, so what's going on in this church? What's going on in this passage? Let me give you a little bit of uh, thoughts on this. I think there's three things that are going on at least. It seems, it seems as if you have a church that was judging people coming through its doors on the basis of wealth and status, right? My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If a man wearing gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and the poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one with fine clothes and you ignore the ones with, you know, who are poor, you're showing partiality. And so what is James saying? The first thing he's saying is this. Don't judge by appearances. Don't judge by appearances. He goes, why are you so impressed with people with fancy clothes and rings on their fingers? Why does that impress you? Why do you look to these people? The, the, the actual Greek is, why do you lift up your face towards you know, the people with the fancy clothes and the rings and whatnot? Why do you offer them the best seats? Would you like something to drink? Can I get you, you know, something to make you more comfortable? And at the same time, why do you ignore the poor? Why are you, why when the poor comes in, why do you say, you stand over in the corner or you sit on the floor? Why are you making these kind of distinctions? These are people. Now, we hear this. We hear James saying this, and we're like, yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, you shouldn't be making these distinctions. But you have to realize what, what James is saying really runs up against every understanding of the Greco-Roman world in the first century. In the Greco-Roman world in the first century, it was a highly, highly structured, highly stratified society. It was a world with very little social mobility. If you're a woman... If you were a slave, if you were poor, you were in a lot of trouble. Because the, the, the wealthy, in, 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 in the Greco-Roman world, the society is you had um, aristocrats, you had merchants, and then you just had the, the, the poor, and then you had the slaves at the bottom. And you were stuck. And nobody liked the poor in the Greco-Roman world. This is what uh, this one historian, I think we have the, maybe a quote. Do we have a quote? Yeah, look at that. Helen Reed. Uh, interesting historian. She says this, Roman authors typically presented the urban poor as the idle mob whose grievances and moral defects, such as laziness, led them to crimes, riots, and sedition. They were seen as a threat to social harmony and stability and could only be controlled by ratifying their insatiable cra cravings for you know, taking them to the gladiator games and giving them free bread. Cicero described the poor as what? Quote, the poverty-stricken scum of the city. They are the scum of the earth. So if you are poor, if you are poor, that's how you are seen. And here's the thing. If you are poor, the chances of you ever getting to a place of not being poor were almost impossible. Because that's how the world was structured. If you were poor, you stayed poor. If you are rich, you just stayed rich. And so, you know, there's a famous line. Some of you guys may know it. Um, Socrates has this great line. He says, Know thyself. And we hear that, we go, know thyself. Isn't that awesome? Just look inside yourself, find out who we are. That's not what Socrates is saying. He's not saying, look inside yourself, know yourself. He's saying, know your position and stay there. That's what he's saying. 
And so in the midst of all this, in the midst of this highly stratified society, this ragtag movement called Christianity comes on the scene. And it offers a different vision of reality. And it's this different vision of reality that seems to be the tension point in our passage this morning. See, it was this Christian idea of equality. It's this Christian idea of equality that drove the Romans crazy. I mean, what kind of society allows women, slaves, and the rich, and the merchants all to hang out together? Who does that? There's one guy named Celsus. He's uh, ruthless in his criticism of Christianity. But one of the things he hated about Christians is he hated the fact that Christians included lower orders of society, slaves, women, and foreigners in their midst. And it's even worse. They called each other brothers and sisters. They called it, what kind of group does this? And so the church offers a, fabric, a picture of reality that threatens the very fabric of Roman society. But here's the problem. It seems like the church was not immune to seductions of the wealth and status and appearance. The church, they fawned over the rich and they treated the poor like the scum of the earth, scum of the earth. And James sees this and he is livid. Don't judge by appearances just because people waltz in wearing fancy clothes and rings. Stop showing favoritism. Why? Because it runs up against the gospel. It runs up against what the whole story of Jesus is all about. Because as Christians, what does he say? He says, our faith is found. It's an interesting phrase that James uses. I don't know if you noticed it. He says here, right at the beginning, he says, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith. And it's an interesting phrase. He says, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This expression, Lord of glory, is a bit strange. What is James saying? He says, if you're going to be lifting up your eyes, there's only one person to lift up your eyes to. And that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Why in the world are you impressed with this false glory? Yeah, people are wearing rings, they're wearing fancy clothes, and they're pretending that they're something. He goes, they're nothing. It's false glory. There's only one. There's only one that we should lift up our heads to. And that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glories. And, 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 and James's response is just underlying the truth that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That, that, as in Ephesians 2, every one of us, but for the grace of God, is dead. We're dead. We're completely dead. Yeah, we are dead. <laughs> but we, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And he says, when you dress up, when you put on the fancy clothes, when you put on your rings, because you're just dressing up a corpse. How, impre- how impressive is that? It's not. Don't judge people by appearances. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that leads leads to the second thing that comes out of this passage. Not only are we not to judge by appearances, but we are to live differently from the world around us. Right? That's what he says. Look in verse 5. In verse 5, he says this. He goes, listen, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom? James reminds the church that the way of Christ 
is very different from the way of the world. It turns the world upside down. And, and, and he reiterates what Paul says. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, he says, that's not the way you learn Christ. When you learn Christ, you put on your Christ clothes and you put off your old way of living. The way of Christ is radically different from the world. And so for the Christian, it's not like wealth and, and status aren't important they, they, or that, that they're inherently evil. It's, it's the, the point is this, is that whether or not you're wealthy or whether or not you're poor doesn't matter. It's our humanness that matters. And, and what is important is how we, list, how we live our lives before Christ. And so James says something. It's kind of interesting. He says this. He says, and it's a very unusual phrase. You never encounter this in, in a letter. He says this. He says, listen up. Listen up. He's making a point. He says, listen up. You who are fawning over the rich, giving them the seats of honor and telling the poor to sit in the corner. He goes, do you not remember what our Lord of glory taught about on the Sermon on the Mount? He's making an echo to the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do you remember what our Lord taught about the poor? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what is he saying? He's saying, He's not saying simply because you're poor, you're going to you know, be, be blessed, or if you're, if you're rich, you're going to go to hell. He says, no, no. He says, our posture before the Lord of glory needs to be our own poverty, that none of us bring anything to the table. None of us bring anything to the table. There's that old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring. How's the next line go? Simply to thy cross I cling. Yeah. Only when our hearts see our absolute poverty before God can we begin to see the mercy and blessing in our lives. Now, here's the thing. James is saying, remember what our Lord taught. He goes, you guys, you're fawning over the rich. You're fawning over those in positions of power. And he says, this is ridiculous. You know why? He says, it is the, it is the rich. It is, it is the rich in your midst, the people that you're saying, hey, have the nice seat. Hey, can I get you something to drink? Hey, are you comfy? He says, these are the guys who are dragging your own people off to court. You catch that? Like in the first century, if you owed money, and often it would be the poor because there are a lot of loan sharks and, and what's not going on. If you were poor and you owed money, the rich could hire somebody or the rich himself could grab somebody by the scruff of their neck, literally and drag them off to prison where they would rot until they paid you back. And he says, these guys who you're giving the nice seats to, they're the ones who are dragging our own people off to prison. They're the ones who are doing the lawsuits against us. What are you doing? And I think, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, how this church lived was really influenced by the world in which it was surrounded it. And I'm so thankful that the church today is no longer influenced by the world around it. <laughs> oh, maybe it is, yeah. Yeah, I think we still struggle with the influence of the world. And I was thinking, how many ways are we influenced by the world? And I came up with 37. Um, but I'm just going to mention two. <laughs> I think one of the ways that we're kind of messed up in this as a church is I think it's how we speak.
spiritually, how we spiritually assess the rich and the poor, how we spiritually assess people. Um, back in the day, uh, there used to be, so Brian and Faye, because you guys are sitting here, right? You would, you would pay, you would have a little lock on your, on your seats, right? Yeah, you'd have, and, and only you guys can go in here, right? This is back in the day that if you're rich and powerful, you actually want to be close to the preacher. Um, <laughs> how times have changed, right? Um, and so you would have your own pew, and you would pay $5.99, and that would be your chair. And nobody could sit in your chair, because it's a special, yeah, it's true. And so, so there's a time of pew rentals. But here's the thing. This idea, this idea of how we spiritually see the rich and poor runs deep. It used to be this idea, and I think it still lingers in the church, is that if a person was successful in business, or if they were rich, it meant that they were also successful spiritually, right? So a sign of rich, of riches, the sign of riches meant that you, you were godly. If you knew how to handle money well, it obviously meant you knew how to handle spiritual things well. And so the church became a place where the leadership, the leadership where it was made up of those who had money and were successful. Now, this runs deep in the church, I'll tell you. I know of a church that will remain unnamed, but uh, its leaders are all made up of CEOs. All the elders board, they, were, they, were, they became elders because they were successful businessmen. And as CEOs of big companies and whatever, they just kind of looked down on anybody who wasn't a CEO. And one time, this one pastor did a report, and uh, one of the CEOs, one of the elders guys, holds up the report. He goes, who wrote this? Honestly, this looks like it was written by a pastor, throws it away. But the idea was, if you're poor, well, you're not blessed. If you're rich, you're blessed. And I'll tell you, this way of thinking has poisoned the North American church and by export, the African church. And it's called the health wealth gospel. And it runs deep. You know some of the, the leaders, some of the leaders, like uh, Kenneth Copeland would be one, Benny Hinn, Joel Olstein, others. And the idea is that, if a per- that God wants you to be rich. And if a person is rich and successful, well, that's a sign of God's favor. If you're poor and unsuccessful, God has not favored you. Something's wrong with your faith. But here's the problem. This health-wealth gospel, man, it, is, it has poison the North American church. And it's, what's, what makes it so gross is that it's actually opposite to the gospel. It's actually opposite to what, to what Scripture teaches us. It, it's opposite to the way of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, right? The way of Jesus is to be downwardly mobile. Now, don't mishear me. Having money should not disqualify you from leadership, but it also doesn't qualify you for leadership. It's neither here nor there. It's whether or not you've learned Christ, okay? So that's one way I see it, is how we spiritually assess 
the rich and the poor. Second thing is our tendency to categorize people. Now, this doesn't just happen to the rich and the poor. It's, a, it's our tendency to look at people and put them into boxes. So if you have fancy rings and nice clothes, well, you're special. If you have homemade clothes, well, you're scum. Sit there, stand over there. So what happens when we put somebody into a category? We can judge, yeah, for good or for bad. We put them into a box, right? And so you say, well, this person, he, he cares about the environment. Obviously a liberal. This person apparently is voting conservative, obviously a hater and a bigot, maybe even a Christian. This person's old. If they're old, they're out of touch. They're out of sync. Well, this person's a millennial. She's probably lazy, right? That's what we do. There's a guy named David Nystrom. He's a New Testament scholar. He tells an interesting story. So he's at a hotel, and uh, it was like a, um, a denominational meeting, and so everybody from the denomination met at this conference. And then in the evening, there was a special event for the top denominational leaders. And so there's about 50 people there. They're all gathered together. David Nystrom's a New Testament scholar, and he's sitting there, and he looks around, and you know there's some servers, and they're pouring drinks, but there are not enough servers, and people are wanting drinks. And David Nystrom says, well, I'll just help out, right? So he starts pouring drinks, and it, it, it so happened that he's wearing a suit that kind of matched <laughs> what a lot of the servers were wearing. And so he's pouring drinks, and this one denominational leader comes up to him, and David says, hey, would you like a drink? He goes, yeah, just give me the drink. Oh, pours him a drink, goes, so how are you enjoying this? He goes, yeah. And now if you've worked in the service industry, you know what that looks like, Right? When people kind of look at you and they kind of write you off. I worked in the service industry for a long time. I know that look and I know that, that sense of, you just, just shut up and give me your, you know, do your thing, right? So nice one's like, oh, all right, here's your drink. So later on, the funny part was, is that later on, is um, they gathered, the head guy, the head of the denomination, gathers everybody together and they're all in a circle. But David Nystrom was, stand, was sitting just behind the guy who kind of blew him off, right? <laughs> And uh, the head of the denomination says, that was an interesting sermon that we heard tonight. Some difficult passages. So I'm going to call upon our top New Testament scholar who's with us this evening, David Dystrom. Could you stand up? So he stands up, and the guy looks behind him. He's like, this is the guy that he just kind of... And so afterwards, the guy comes up to David Dystrom, and he basically is fawning over him. And he's da, 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 da. Never mentioned the fact that he kind of blew him off earlier on. But the point is this. It's very easy to look at somebody. It's very easy to look at somebody and, and, and to just put them into a category rather than actually dealing with who the person is. And in our world of social media and echo chambers, it's so easy to categorize people, to write them off, uh, to dismiss them. And here's the thing. When we categorize people, we dehumanize them. Categories give us an idea that we can write people off. And when we write people off, we're not listening to one another. And when we're not listening to one another, we're not honoring one another or treating each other as human beings. And so the way of Christ is different, right? The way of Christ is very different. 
Jesus says we are called to be poor in spirit, to follow him and to pay attention to one another. So to, to be a Christ follower is to live differently from the world. So this leads us to our last point. And that is this. We're, we're to not judge by appearances, live differently from the world. And thirdly, we are to choose mercy over judgment. And James, he confronts them. And he confronts, he says, look at this in verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And his point is this. He's saying, look, you have a choice. How do you want to live? There's two kinds of laws that you can live under. You can live under the law of judgment or the law of, of, of mercy. Which one do you want to live under? He goes, here's the thing. If you want to live under the law of judgment, that's fine. That's fine. But you have to realize, you step out of line. That judgment that you're throwing towards everyone else is going to come back on you. Why not live under the royal law, which includes mercy? That's his point, right? And I think about that. I think about, you know, in the church, there's no shortage of people that want to live under the law of judgment, where we become judgmental towards others. But there's a danger to that. There's a danger to that. If, if you want to live a life that judges others and writes people off and, and condemns people, that's, that's okay, but it's going to come back hard on you. And I've met people in the church that try to live a life of judgment. And basically, they're trying to live a life apart from the cross. And if you try to live your life apart from the cross, then you spend most of your time doing what? Trying to be slightly better than the next person. Right? It's like, I may not be perfect, but I'm certainly better. Right? <laughs> Sorry, Brian, you happen to be sitting up front. So. Yeah. <laughs> I may not be perfect, but all I have to do is be slightly better than my neighbor. Right? But here's the thing. Here's what happens. When, if you try to live your life apart from the cross, if you try to live your life apart from the mercy that we find on the cross of Christ, here's what happens. Two things happen. You grow proud and you begin to hate yourself. I see this happening all the time. If you try to live your life apart from the cross, you grow proud and you begin to hate yourself. Become proud. It's like, well, at least I'm better than the other person. But the moment you mess up, it's like, man, I suck. And you feel crushed. And James is saying, you know, why would you live under this way? There's two ways to live. Why not live under the royal law of mercy? Why not choose mercy rather than judgment? When we live under Jesus, when we choose mercy over judgment, we live under the cross. And that means we look at people and we don't... We don't <laughs> We look at people for their humanness, not for their package. We don't throw them into categories. We look at them in the eye and we see who they are. And the way of Jesus is to look at one another as human beings and not to be impressed by what they're wearing or not to be unimpressed by what they're wearing or how they're acting. We look at each other as human beings. That is the way of Christ. You know, that's how Jesus lived his life. But that's a challenge for us. I have a buddy of mine. 
Um, some of you may know him the moment I say his name. His name is Rudy. And the thing about Rudy that I've always loved about Rudy is that he could be speaking to the queen or he could be speaking to somebody down on their luck in the downtown east side and the way he talks to them and the way he treats them is exactly the same. And I look at that and go, man, I'd like to be that because I'm one of those people that I do get impressed. I do get starstruck. Now, not like, you know, Taylor Swift could walk in, I wouldn't give a rip. I, I like her music. <laughs> not quite a Swifty. Rachel, you don't have to comment. Um, but I'm not super impressed by the famous. But I do get tripped up by professors. It's funny because I love academics and I love books and stuff like that. So if I come across, you know, a historian, I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where somebody else could be the prime minister, it's not going to impress me. But I want to be the same in this towards everyone. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> I want to be the same. One of the classes I'm teaching, and some of you guys come out on a Tuesday night, I'm teaching a class on the first three centuries of the church and looking at how the church navigated its way through the Roman Empire. And one of the things that just did a number against the Roman Empire was that the church was a, a supernatural community. Imagine, if you will, you're living in the first century and you're a slave. And you're a woman. Now, in the first century, that's, that's the lowest of the lows. And you're treated horribly all week. You're a thing in the, in the Greco-Roman mindset. If you're a slave, you're, you're a thing. You're not a, you're not a person. You're nothing. And yet one day a week, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, you gather together, and you're next to somebody who's an aristocrat. You're next to a merchant. And you're a slave all week long. You're, you're treated with no name. You're no name. You're nothing. You're a tool. But one day a week, someone takes bread, and they look at you, and they call you by name. And you take something, and you give it to them, and you call them by name. Now, that is a community. And if you're a slave, or if you're a woman, or if you're the lowest of the lows in the Greco, that's, that's what transformed the, the, the that's what transformed the church, how the church transformed the Roman Empire. Because if you were a slave, would you not want to shout the reality of Jesus from the rooftops? Because Jesus looks at me, not as, as my owner looks at me. Jesus looks at me, and he knows me by name. And he died for me so that I can live and have hope. That's a game changer. And that's why the church grew the way it did. And I think we need to be that kind of community today. Not to get impressed by, you know, whatever your status is or whatever it happens to be, but to look at each other as human beings, deep into each other's hearts, and be thankful for one another. And to, and to be reminded that the ground is completely level at the foot of the cross. And that none of us, none of us deserve to be in relationship with the living God of the universe. But God, in his grace and his love, has reconciled us to him and to one another. That's a game changer, right? So that's what I think comes out of this passage I wanted to share with you this morning. I'm going to pray, and we're going to do one more thing, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that we would become people that live differently, 
that people, when they walk in to hear that there's something different about the church, and it's our humanness, the way we look at each other, the way we treat one another as human beings. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Thank you that we live because of you. So help us not to judge by appearances, but to recognize that every one of us has value in your eyes and to treat each other in that way. That's our desire, Lord. And we thank you that this is made possible because of the cross. Help us to live under the cross, not to be judgmental, but to recognize that, but for the grace of God, there go I. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.